Hello, welcome to our new medical series, Call to Care by Sanford Health. I'm your host, Courtney Collin. Call to Care brings forward medical experts to give fellow clinicians some advice and guidance that they can use in their primary care practice and information about when it's time to refer patients and families to more specialized care. Joining me for six episodes focusing on children's care is Dr. Joseph Sejlan. He's the vice president and medical officer for Sanford Children's Hospital and a leader in pediatric critical care. And he has narrowed down six timely topics for us. Good to see you, Dr. Sejlan. Yeah, good to see you as well, Courtney. We're happy to have you here. And in this episode specifically, we're talking about decreasing antibiotic usage in urgent and primary care. Dr. Sejlan, first, tell us why you chose this topic. Well, I think anybody who uh, takes care of children and, importantly, takes care of children's parents are often... um, have the issue of, does my child need antibiotics or don't they need antibiotics? And that can be a real difficult judgment call. And I think that uh, our expert today will really help narrow that down and provide some valuable guidance. And speaking of, let's welcome Dr. Fernando Bula Rudas to the conversation today. Good to see you. Good to see you. And thank you for having me here. Yeah, Dr. Sajalan, tell us, you know, why you chose Dr. Bula Rudas. Well, you know, at Sanford Children's, we're really just incredibly fortunate to have uh, some some great pediatric infectious disease physicians who really are the experts in in febrile illnesses and infectious illnesses for children, both in the hospital and also as an outpatient. And so that's why I thought that Dr. Bularudis's expertise would be a, a great way to, to tip off this series and give some great advice for providers. Dr. Pularudis, um, maybe perhaps we'll start by just saying, what is a pediatric infectious disease specialist? What kind of training have you had? So, just as he says, um, we treat uh, mainly infectious diseases um, in children. Um, we treat both uh, outpatient and inpatient. Uh, we combine both of our, our settings um, complicated infections in the hospital. Also, we do um, infection prevention, um, the strategies to prevent healthcare-associated infections, and uh, also we manage the outpatient setting, um, kids that do not need to be admitted um, and can be managed as an outpatient. Thanks. I, I know with um, with my own children, and certainly when you, when you talk to other parents, um, it seems like kids are sick a lot, especially when they're young. And there's a, there's a fair amount of pressure when kids have febrile illnesses, especially with whether it's getting back to daycare, parents going back to work, permission to go back to school. So I can feel for our providers on the call who really get pressured a fair amount about antibiotics. Um, what guidance will you, could you give first to our providers on when is it appropriate to give antibiotics, or, or I think I suspect where you're going to go more pro- more importantly, when is it not appropriate? Correct. So um, it is a very valid concern for parents to think that, okay, what is wrong with my child? I just feel that my child or my baby is sick all the time, especially if a child is going to, to daycare and being exposed to, to many viruses. Um, I take it as sometimes as being sign of like uh, as a sign of being healthy. Um, that means that your immune system is responding to um, agents, foreign agents that are coming in contact with with that infant, and then they're responding. And you know, in a way, is to say that they're creating that that immunity. 
Um, so as long as there are like non-complicated in, uh, viral infections, that the child, once the fever is down, is back to normal self and, and playing, that is a very reassuring sign. But I can understand the, the, the valid concern that the parents can have. And especially if my child is well for, you know, one week, and then I feel like it's, you know, just like boogers and, uh, you know, uh, runny nose for the whole winter. So, and, and I, I, I take it you're talking about upper respiratory infections, which kids get a fair amount of. Um, so how do I, if I'm a provider and I see a, a parent and they have a URI, and there really is pressure to get back to school or, or there really is pressure to get back to the daycare, um, how, how, do I, how do I make the visit less transactional and their, lower their expectations that an antibiotic is going to, one, make their child better right away, and two, is, is the right thing to do. Correct. So um, this type of, of illnesses, as, as I mentioned, they're mostly viral. Um, they're mostly caused by, by a virus. And so antibiotics are not the treatment for, for viruses. So um, the parent is concerned, and I think one of the very important uh, issues to manage in this type of visit is to communicate well with parents, to give them the reassurance that, yes, your child is sick at this moment, may not feel well, may have like some fevers, not being in the you know best state of, of health. I acknowledge that. There are some symptoms that I can manage, like the fever, like the runny nose, maybe if there's like some cough, um, how to help parents manage that, um, but also reassure them that antibiotics would not make them feel better or would not treat the specific viral infection that they have. And this is specifically after you do an exam and, and rule out any specific signs of bacterial inf infection, correct? Exactly. We're talking probably with a child that, uh, about a child that um, the physical exam does not point into a complicated or, you know, a more serious uh, bacterial infection. Now, what about, I often get asked about temperatures, right? Fever. Is there a certain temperature that, um, you know, parents, especially if the fever is quite high, parents get more nervous about an illness. So does temperature at all weigh into the, the decision about antibiotics? Exactly. So, uh, well, first of all, is one of the things is to have a fever. Um, studies, I mean, and we make the recommendation of temperature above 100.4 Fahrenheit, um, that becomes a, a fever. So then uh, parents can say, well, my child has, has a fever. Any temperature below that, we can like probably, you know, ask the parent if they gave like any antipyretic or any medication to, um, to lower the, the fever to make sure that there was no fever at home. And then uh, by the time they get seen, the fever has, has gone down. And... Um what is, you know, a lot of times you do hear patients talk about uh, that, you know, we've, we've seen children that have been on a lot of antibiotics. I think some of the things that can be used to advise parents is that uh, antibiotics are not without their own consequences and side effects, right? So what are some of the things that we can tell our parents so that they're more educated about the, the potential negative side effects and aspects of antibiotic usage? 
Exactly, Joe. I wanted to mention some numbers um, to show the, the importance of the antibiotic prescription. So a, um, a study that was uh, conducted by the Pew Trusts and the CDC found that um, in the United States, approximately 150 million visits a year um, in adults and, and children have at least one antibiotic being prescribed in, in those visits. That accounts for 13% of all visits for, for outpatient visits in the U.S. And they also found that 30% uh, of these antibiotics that were prescribed were considered unnecessary or not indicated um, based on the clinical findings on that. So it is important to know that there is an antibiotic overprescription in this case, and um, antibiotics are by no means, you know, a 100% benign um, medication. They carry side effects as any other medication can have, um, and these side effects can be um, in the short term, can present in the short term. Um, adverse events more commonly seen are rashes, are um, GI disturbances like abdominal pain, diarrhea. The frequent use of, of antibiotics can develop to a more serious condition, which is the uh, Clostridium difficile colitis, um, which is a, a more serious condition, um, but also can affect the, the blood cells, uh, decreasing the, the neutrophils. Um, some antibiotics have the risk of um, creating renal problems, so they are by no means uh, benign. And then um, in the long term, what we are seeing is the problem of antimicrobial resistance, that superbugs, superbugs, yeah. What are the the called the the superbugs? And um, um, one of the you know interesting data about about the antibiotic prescription in the U.S. is that basically any child by the age of two, like about like one child uh, or every child in the U.S. by the age of two, would have received at least one prescription for antibiotics in, in their lifetime. Yeah, and I, I know the superbugs and the resistance, we read about that quite a bit. I also, I know I've read research on how really a single episode or single course of antibiotics can affect the microbiome as, as well. Is that right? Exactly. There are many studies on the, on the microbiome, and especially those have been done in um, newborns, in, in premature babies um, that receive antibiotics in the, in the NICU. Um, and these works have shown that the colonization with this microbiome, or what we call the good bacteria, is completely different in those uh, babies that have received antibiotics early in life. Um, to this extent, we are not quite sure what would be the impact of, of that, but uh, certain, certainly those differences are, are, you know, are going to create like some sort of consequences. Um, and, and also, um, you know, and as I said, in the long term, we're probably seeing the children that are being exposed very early in their lives to multi-drug resistant to bacteria, to the superbugs. So our those are children that are going to need, um, you know, very um, specific antibiotic to treat multi-drug resistant infections. 
Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you can't really pick up a magazine without reading about microbiome and the importance of your, your own flora in your gut, and, and certainly antibiotics uh, disturb and, and can change that. So I appreciate that insight. Thanks. And I think that helps give our providers who are listening information that they can use with parents, because really that's throughout the lay literature. Okay, let's shift gears. We talked about when not to give antibiotics. So what are some of the things you can offer to the providers listening? What are some of the indications to give antibiotics? And if you want to do that by either severity or grade of illness, or if you want to go through some specific conditions, that'd be awesome as well. Yeah, so um, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, we know that, for example, in in children, uh, vaccines have caused a a decrease in the uh, bacterial causes of, of infection, of um, talking specifically about acute otitis media, about ear infections. Um, mainly the pneumococcal vaccine and the haemophilus influenza type E uh, vaccine have um, created a major impact in decreasing like this type of, of infections. So mostly this um, ear infections are going to be like viral. However, there are um, specific indications where we want to give antibiotics in this particular situation. For example, when there is an infant, uh, when there's a child less than two years of age, we have to be more cautious um, because of the severity and the, the complications that, that can cause. So if we have a bilateral ear infection, that is an indication of, of treating with, with antibiotics in, in an infant. Um, if we have, um, you know, for example, a u- urinary tract infection, that is going to be an indication to treat with, with an antibiotic. What about fluid behind the ears? So fluid behind the ears, um, it depends on, like, the, the clinical exam. It, de- it, um, it takes skills to make that, that diagnosis and to be able to, to visualize. And then um, also the severity of the, of the illness. Um, if we have fever for more than 48 hours, if we have pain, um, we have to check that the child, for example, is, is immunized or, or if there's a guarantee of good compliance and, and follow-up. So parents still can be instructed in this type of situations on, like, um, when we can wait and we can watch and you can have a follow-up in a couple of days and I can check the status of the ear to see if the patient needs antibiotics. Great. Well, thank you. I know our colleagues in both the acute care world as well as primary care often see children with sore throats. And the question is strep or not strep, tonsillitis or not tonsillitis. And frequently the discussion of antibiotics comes up when it comes to sore throats. Can you shine some light on it? for us, for our providers that are listening? Yes. So, absolutely, as I have mentioned, you know, many times in, in this conversation, it's like the number one cause of pharyngitis is uh, a virus. It's like viral pharyngitis. Um, in school-age children, and, and mainly those, um, like, four years of age and, and older, then they start having the classic strep throat. Um, and that presents, of course, with classic signs and, and symptoms. Um, 
that are not consistent or that do not represent a viral a viral illness, a viral pharyngitis. So when when we have like this type of uh, clinical presentation, then a, va- a basic simple test that is the the strep test, the rapid strep test would give us like valuable information in this patient to start the antibiotic or or not. So um, we basically have the means to to have an answer in a couple of minutes um, uh, in order to start or to prescribe an antibiotic in this specific situation. Um, On the contrary, um, kids that are less than three years of age is not routinely recommended to to do this test. Um, We know for many reasons uh, that uh, these these patients, these children do not get um, or do not have the receptors uh, to create the complications of these infections, so then um, antibiotics or the test are not recommended. So that's, that's good to know. So children less than age three routinely should not be checked for strep throat. Is that what I heard? Yes, that is correct. Great. Okay. And what about, are there other symptoms that would lead you away from doing a rapid strep or a strep throat, or a throat culture? Cough, um, <clears throat> cough, the a nasal discharge, and symptoms that are mainly uh, consistent with uh, with a viral um, upper respiratory infection. Great, thank you. Um, I guess the last thing I would want to cover is um, blood cultures, or when do you culture, particularly for our colleagues who are working in urgent cares or perhaps ERs. Is there an indication for a blood culture in a certain population or a certain degree of illness? And, and what about do you give antibiotics when you culture? Can you, can you shed a little light on that information? Yeah, so that would depend um, especially on uh, specific, specific situations. And uh, mainly um, the age of the, of the child is one important factor to consider there. Um, then the next factor I would say is the the severity of the illness, how the child is presenting, are the viral signs abnormal, um, how many days of, of fevers have, have there been there. Um, blood cultures can be very valuable in um, patients, immunocompromised patients who have central lines and they present to an acute care setting um, to determine if there is um, uh, a line infection or if there is another bacteria causing more more trouble there, um, they're not routinely recommended. For example, a patient that that has um, clear signs of of a viral URI and the fever is caused, or the fever is caused by an ear infection, we don't necessarily need to get blood cultures in this type of situation. So uh, to summarize, I would say mainly the age. We want to get a blood culture along with other tests in newborns um, and in particular cases in some infants um, and, and toddlers, depending on the severity and the age as well. Now, I know when I, when I trained, which was uh, uh, just a little bit, little few years ago, I guess, <laughs> when I trained, um, we used that eight weeks you know, a, a, a true fever in a child less than eight weeks um, was, a, was a cause for alarm and some real significant evaluations. Do we still use the eight weeks, or has that shifted lower? So as, as of now, and there are, like, 
you know, every institution manages uh, based on their risk. They establish their own criteria, but I would say that cutoff where no one has any doubt about it is the four weeks and, and below. But then, you know, we have, okay, what is a five-week-old baby? Um, what if the baby was not born full term? We're dealing with some situations that, that, that yes, we probably need to get a blood culture and a fur- further evaluation. So really use your clinical judgment, especially with those infants, is what it sounds like. Exactly. Great. Well, really, thank you for the information. I feel like we could talk about <laughs> UTIs and VCOGs and bronchitis and pneumonia, and I think the list could go on and on, but really appreciate your insight. I know this is um, the pressure about antibiotics is really a real one that affects many of our providers, and they often have those somewhat difficult conversations with parents about why they're not prescribing an antibiotic. I guess to close up, I would ask you, um, when should a provider refer a patient specifically for an evaluation by a pediatric infectious disease physician like yourself? Yes, Joe. And I want to hold on that question just to, um, you know, follow up on a comment that you just, just, uh, that you just made in terms of uh, providers probably feeling the pressure from the, from the parents on, on wanting an- antibiotics. I would say to providers that parents want your expertise or they're looking for your expertise and your expert uh, advice. And they would follow most of the times whatever, you know, a, a provider has to say. Um, and education and the language to communicate is key into reassuring the parents and saying, your child is ill right now, but I don't think your child needs antibiotics. And offer that um, follow-up opportunity and alternative. Give me a call in a couple of days, or I want to see you in a couple of days and see how things are going um, and we'll determine if there is the need for, for antibiotic. Um, now going back to your question, um, yes, we do see, um, you know, referrals from, from our community. Um, definitely um, one of the main things that, that we see is like prolonged fevers or recurrent infections. Um, with prolonged fevers, uh, what, what we see in these referrals are patients, children who have more than one week of fever, and despite laboratory workup, imaging, uh, multiple physical exams, there is no clear evidence or where this infection is coming from. So we might be dealing with a more serious situation, and then, yes, we would like to evaluate and um, and see what are the risks and what are the potential uh, infections or causes for, for these fevers. Then with the recurrent infections, um, as we talked about, that child that is probably sick all the time, um, sometimes that, those viral, those recurrent viral infections are not that concerning. But if my child is having positive blood cultures, if my child is having recurrent urinary infections or recurrent confirmed pneumonias with x-rays, then that's something that can raise a concern there. Is my child dealing with, uh, with an immunodeficiency or there is something wrong with the, the immune system that um, they're not able to respond well or is causing these recurrent 
uh, infections. Um, then basically, uh, we also, I mean, in the region that, that we live, uh, we have infections that are uh, transmitted by animals and by insects. And uh, those infections um, sometimes require like sp specific laboratory workup or specific imaging and uh, we would like to help in, into those infections to treat with the right antibiotic and uh, establish the appropriate risk for that patient. Good information. Thank you. Dr. Sejlong, Dr. Bularudas, thank you so much for your expertise on this topic. Our Call to Care podcast series focusing on children continues with topics from appendicitis to joint pain and psychiatry and many more right here with our Sanford Health experts. Thank you both for being here. Thank you those listening and for all that you do. We'll see you soon.